0: Father, that's really why we come to your word right now as well. We, we come to your word because we know that that our own hearts and our own minds and our own decisions are not trustworthy, and we easily wander, And uh, but you are trustworthy and you are good, and all of your words are true and just and right. And so, Father, we come to you because we want to know your will for our lives. We want to know how you would have us live and how you would have us serve and And worship you and so father we pray that you would speak now to us through your word that you'd speak clearly and powerfully and that you would help us to see your will clearly and powerfully this morning that we would um, that, that all these different things that could easily distract us would be pushed off to the side and that we would have open ears and open hearts to hear what you have to say this morning so father we do pray that you would open our ears to hear our eyes to see And our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Well, we are working our way through the book of Malachi. So, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Malachi chapter 2. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's right before Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. And I kind of warned us already after we did the first sermon, uh, the book of Malachi is pretty intense, and <clears throat> he doesn't he Malachi as a prophet doesn't mince words, and of course the Lord is speaking through Malachi, and so when the Lord is speaking through Malachi, he doesn't mince words either and there's a few part parts of this morning's passage I think makes us It made me squirm a little bit, (laughs) Um, and it should make us squirm, and yet it's important to remember that this is is important. So we're going to read Malachi 2, verses 1 through 16, and I'm going to have to turn around and read it off of the screen behind me. Now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal, or the dung, from your festal sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. You will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing was false, Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in the matters of the law. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are His, and why one? because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. No mincing words. <laughs> you know, as I, as I was preparing, um, I, I want you to bear with me that my intro is going to seem like it has nothing to do with the passage this morning, but I, I, I assure you, it does. <laughs> um, the, one of the, there was a story I came across this week that I saw in a completely different light than I've ever seen before, and that's saying a lot when your job is literally to study the Bible. Um, but I came across the story that I, I, most of you probably know, the story of Balaam, right? And so I'm sure most of you know Balaam, and, and most of the kids actually know Balaam's donkey <laughs> more than they know Balaam, right? Um, but, but the sto- and they know the donkey because the donkey ends up speaking in, to Balaam, right? But, but the story of Balaam that we basically know is that the king of, of the Moabites and the Midianites, his name is Balak, And he saw Israel out there, and he said, there's a lot of them, and they're defeating king after king after king. And he was worried that they were going to come and defeat the Moabites and the Midianites. And so he hired Balaam as a prophet from the east to come and to curse God's people, right? And he said, if we can get a curse over God's people, then I won't have to worry about them destroying me. And so, of course, as Balaam's riding his donkey on the way to curse God's people, there's an angel stands in the way of the donkey, and the donkey doesn't want to go. And Balaam beats the donkey, and the donkey yells at him. (laughs) So that's the famous part that a lot of people know. But eventually what happens is Balaam keeps riding his donkey, and then he stands up on a hillside over God's people, and he goes to curse God's people, but God won't let him curse the people, right? Every time Balaam stands up to curse God's people a blessing comes out of his mouth over God's people. And it happens over and over again. Which obviously makes King Balak really angry because he paid this guy to curse God's people. And all he does is say blessings over God's people, right? And then the story seems like it just ends with Balaam going on his way back home. I'm sure you probably all all have heard that part of the story. Um, But when you start looking into Balaam more, you look up where his name is mentioned in other parts of the Bible, you find out there's actually a lot more to the story. Um, Balaam actually did his job, but he did it in a very sneaky way. And uh, right after this whole event with Balaam happens, we read this, and it doesn't seem like it's connected right away, but eventually we're told that it is connected. It says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and then the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel." And so what happened was the people of God started chasing after these, and it has nothing to do with mixing races, okay? I always want to make sure that that's clear. That's not, when it, the, the problem with marrying foreign women is not that mixing of races, it's, it's marrying people who do not worship the same God as you because what ends up happening is, is you end up worshiping their God. And the people of God turned from worshiping God and turned to worshiping idols. And then a curse came upon them and ended up 24,000 people were killed. Now it may not seem to have anything to do with Balaam except for later on in Numbers, this is what we read. Moses said to them, have you let the women live? Behold, these women, these Moabite women, on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came against the congregation of the Lord. And what I found interesting in reading that, and that actually comes up in a few other places in the Bible, um, what do you do, right? Balaam was hired to do a job. He He was hired to come and bring a curse upon God's people. But he was prevented from carrying out that job. So what do you do? Will you devise a plan so that God's people would bring that curse on themselves? Right? Balak, king of the Moabites, king of the Midianites, was worried because God's people were so large. He was worried that they wouldn't be able to defeat them. So he hired Balaam to come in and do something so that the population of Israel would shrink. He couldn't do it. So what does he do? He comes up with a plan so that God's people bring a curse on themselves that would cause a plague that would cause 24,000 of them to die. And what was his plan? He said, told the Moabites and Midianites, send your women in. The men will chase after them. And then they'll turn away from God. They'll become unfaithful. And then God will curse them. And Balaam's plan worked perfectly. Led God's people astray. And and it caused a plague where it says 24,000 people died. And it's to tell us that this isn't just a small thing. And why am I talking about this? Because this you know happened way back in Numbers, and now we're at, that's like the beginning of the Old Testament. Now we're at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi. And I'm talking about because the same thing's happening again. Not necessarily Balaam's not around doing it, but God's people are wandering away from him, and a lot of it has to do with marriage. And, and it's really this tale that happens over and over in Scripture. It happens here in Numbers. Um, remember Solomon? What happened to Solomon. Married a bunch of women who worshipped other gods and his heart was taken away right with them, right? What happened with Ezra and Nehemiah? They come out of they come out of the exile, they rebuild the temple, they they rebuild Jerusalem, they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, and what happens? They end up running off, worshiping other gods. And now it's happening again. It just kind of keeps happening over and over again. And God's people seem to think this is not a big deal. Even though God keeps saying, this is a big deal. And Malachi is sent as a prophet to, to speak to God's people as he sees this going on. And he asks, he asks, it's a really powerful question right in the middle. He says, have we not one father? Has not one God created us? Why are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And and really, under that question is is another question. He's not just saying, why are we faithless to one another? But he's saying, Why are we faithless to our God? And what he's trying to point out is this kind of absurdity that, that we have in ourselves to be faithless to our God. He said, don't we have just one father? Shouldn't it be easy for us to to listen to him, to trust him, to follow him? And he says, don't we have one God who created us? Isn't this the God that came to, to Abraham and said, I will make you a people and I'll bless you and I'll make you a blessing? Why is it hard for us to listen to him, right? Isn't this the same God that, that delivered us from slavery in Egypt and, and fed us in the wilderness and brought us into the promised land and, and rescued us from exile? And Isn't this the same God that gives us life and breath and, and everything? And Malachi is going, why is it so hard for us to listen to him, to trust him, or to be faithful, right? To not be faithless, to, to listen. Um, why is it so hard for us to be faithful to a faithful God? <laughs> right? Or why, why, you know, we sang earlier, um, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's been the story of God's people from Genesis 3 on right down into our own lives this morning, right? When we're honest, every time I sing that line, I think, yep, prone to wander. And and Malachi's looking at it saying, it's really crazy, that, that we're so prone to wander. It, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, wh- when you look at God, you th- is there anything that He has ever done that would cause us to not trust Him? No. As, has God done anything that would cause us to think, like, maybe He's not, like, maybe He doesn't have good judgment? No. Is there anything to cause us to, that, that would cause us to question His faithfulness? No. Now, if you turn that on yourself, have I done anything that would cause me to question my judgment? Every single day, right? Have I done anything that has shown that I'm maybe not that reliable? Yes. Um, so, why do I constantly trust my own, myself and my own judgment over a God who's proven himself so faithful, so true, so reliable, so just? Why? Don't, and this is Malachi's point. Why can't we just listen to what God says? Why? And, and he gives two examples of, of this, um, of kind of this faithlessness during, that's happening at this time. And he starts by by rebuking the priests, right? The, the leaders of God's people. And, and what he does is he contrasts, actually God through Malachi, contrasts the priests of the day with the way he designed the priests to be. And so I want to look at the way that God kind of designed the priesthood. So he says, So you should know that I've sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand. This this covenant with the Levites, with, with the priesthood, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. I gave them life and peace. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts." All right, this is the picture God is saying. This is how I designed the priesthood to be. It was a, it was this covenant of life and peace. They were supposed to bring life and peace to the people, like my life and peace through them to the people. And God said, and guess what? I did it. I gave it to them. And it was a it was a it was a covenant of fear, like a real, true, godly fear. Not, always, it's hard to explain the fear of God, and I don't have time to get into that. But a godly fear. And God said, and they feared me in a, in a good, godly way. They, it was a, a covenant of awe, and they were in awe of me. And he said, the priests actually walked and lived in uprightness and holiness. And he actually says they walked with him, which is only said of a couple of people in the Bible that they walked with God. He said true instruction was on their mouth. They, they spoke good words and they guided God's people into life and holiness and, and righteousness. And because they guarded knowledge, which means they didn't just teach what was right, but they also corrected what's wrong. They guarded it. They protected it. Then people came to them, to the priests, for instruction and guidance. And, and the priests said they turned many people from their sin and iniquity and set their feet on the path of righteousness and peace and life. That was what the priests did. That's what God designed them to do, and it was beautiful. But then God says, here's his description of the priests with Malachi. He says, but you, priests, you've turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble. By your instruction you 've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction he says they 've actually done the exact opposite, right everything that he painted in the picture of the beauty of how he designed the priesthood and the leaders he said, the leaders now in the days of Malachi, they have done the exact opposite. Rather than walking with God, they've done what? They've turned aside from the way of God. They've walked on their, their their own path. Rather than instructing and building up God's people, they have led the people astray. Rather than turning many people away from their iniquity, what have the priests done? They've caused many to stumble and, and fall into sin. Um, and and what Malachi's showing and what God's showing is he's saying these priests are faithless. They don't actually trust God. They don't actually believe God. They don't actually follow God. That's why they don't do the things that he's told them to do. They just kind of do whatever they want to do. And so we're told that they're under a curse. So God comes to the priest. He says, okay, if you're not going to listen... If you're not going to take it to heart and give honor to my name, if if you're not going to do what I've called you to do, and you're going to keep wandering off doing whatever you want to do, he said, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Which is a really interesting phrase. I'll curse your blessings. And then he says, Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Which is a really interesting thing because God's not only coming to them saying, if you keep this up, I'm going to curse you. God says, I'm actually already cursing you right now. I'm disciplining you right now and you're so far gone, you don't even recognize it. It's done nothing to cause you to turn back to me. And then when God begins to describe his curse... This is the part that I think gets graphic, and it, 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 I love how the NF, NIV called it awful, right? Uh, like, uh, like O-F-F-A-L, which is, I think that's the stuff inside your intestines, but the, the word's probably as much better referenced, that stuff, when it comes out of your intestines, however you want to say it. The ESV calls it dung. On the farm, we called it something else. Um. God comes to him. Here's the curse. He says, I will rebuke your offspring, and I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you'll be taken away with it. Now, it makes you cringe, right? You don't really want to try to picture actually it happening, but this is the God of the universe speaking (laughs) to priests who have wandered off and not fulfilled the calling that God has given them and the imagery that that he's getting at when he talks about the dung of their offerings if if you imagine the amount of people Israel was a massive nation and you imagine all of those people coming to the temple with offerings that means they're coming with a bunch of animals and where there's a bunch of animals there's dung or poop whatever you want to call it right there it's there it's all over the place And God says, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to spread it across your faces, priests. Not only to humiliate you, not only to abase you, because you've humiliated the God that you're supposed to be serving, but he's also doing that to make them unclean so that they can't actually perform... The calling that God has given them, because the more they keep doing what they're doing, the more they're dishonoring God and the more they're leading God's people astray. So he said, I will humiliate you and I will abase you before all of the people and I will prevent you from actually being able to do what I've called you to do. But he says something else, and you will be taken away with it with the dung, with the manure because they would take all of that you know there'd be poop everywhere they would scoop it up like you do on a farm and they'd haul it outside of the city to a they had a pile we have pits right and they'd take it out and they would stick it out there and God says not only am I going to wipe this across your face I'm going to humiliate you I'm going to prevent you from doing the job you're going to be taken outside the city and thrown on the dung heap taken out behind the barn thrown in the manure pit because you have not done what I've called you to do. You've actually done worse than what I've called you to do. They were faithless. And then what happens what happens when you have faithless leaders? Faithless people come right on the hills of it. One of the one of the commentators said this, When the spiritual and religious leaders of God's people don't comply with the elevated demands of their calling, then a moral decline takes place, generally manifesting itself in, among other things, various malpractices concerning the marriage life of the people. Um, we'll get into the last part, but but there's this general principle in leadership that the people become like the leaders, right? It's a very common thing. And so when you have faithless leaders leading a people, then the people will become faithless. It's always the case. It's, it's, uh, it's actually one of the scariest principles of leadership. Um, I've, I've told myself this, and as I've discipled other leaders throughout the years, they'll be kind of complaining about the people that they're leading, and they've they got this problem, they've got that problem, they've got this problem. And I say, guess what? They're probably reflecting you, <laughs> Um, look in the mirror because you probably have those same problems and you may be blind to it. And so when, when you have leaders who've become faithless and you have people that are faithless, and, and that's what we read, right? He says, Judah, forgot the J, Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Abomination. And Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves And has married the daughter of a foreign god. Right? I mean, catch the strong language here. How is Judah described? They've been faithless. They've committed an abomination. They've they've profaned the sanctuary of the Lord by doing what? By marrying daughters of a foreign god. Uh, By marrying women who worship other gods. He, He says, It's an abomination. It's faithless. It's profaned the sanctuary. And what's interesting is, I think, just because of where we're at, I think our natural reaction to that is like, well, God, that's that's a little strong, isn't it? I mean not that big of a deal. I mean, they just, they just married some Moabite women or they just married some women that, that didn't worship you. I mean, come on. It's not that big of a deal. Like, get a grip. Calling it an abomination? Calling it faithless? That's not. That's... And sadly, I think that kind of gut reaction, whether we verbalize it or we just keep it in our head, <laughs> um, it kind of just shows our own faithlessness. Um if that hits too close to home, well <laughs> um because God has just clearly said to them, Don't do it. And their response was ah you, know, you ever been there with your kid? <laughs> you know, and it's just crazy god has said it over and over and over again and then and throughout the the old testament he's shown how this practice of marrying someone who doesn't worship the same god as you is a bad thing and how it leads people and nations astray god has shown it over and over and over again and god's people still say well it's just a stupid rule i mean that's not we don't have to listen to that that's not a big deal we can just and god comes in and says what have I done that you would question me on this? Why, why, would, why would you question my judgment when I tell you this is a bad thing? I've told you that it's bad. I've shown you that it, it never works out good. Why do you think you're smarter than me? <laughs> um, or the bigger question that, that Malachi asked, why do you think you would question the God who created the universe and you on this issue and, and the people of Judah during this time, they're, they're doing something even worse. They're not just like marrying these people who don't worship the same God as them, but they're also divorcing their wives in order to marry them. They're kind of like kicking them to the curb because they want the new shiny thing over here. And so we read, because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless to your wives. They're being faithless to their God and they're being faithless to their wives and everyone around you. Though she's your companion and she's your wife by covenant, for God made you one. I didn't put that in there. The man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. And You know, this is probably one of the hardest verses in the Bible to translate from Hebrew to English. And so, if you go home and you open up a different translation. So, the NIV that we read at the beginning of this, that passage was translated differently. Because it's really hard to figure out what it says. And so, uh, most of you probably have heard this passage this. I hate divorce, thus says the Lord God of Israel. And I'm not enough of a Hebrew scholar, (laughs) to tell you which translation is better than the other. I I tried, and guys way smarter than me said, I don't know. But either way, this is the sentiment that's being portrayed down through to God's people, where God's saying, I hate divorce. And I'm watching my people do it. Over and over and over again. Not only kicking the wives that I've made one, that I've united, that I've, that I've joined together. Not only kicking them to the curb, but to make it even worse, they're, they're chasing after some other people who don't worship me. It's like this double one-two punch to God. And God's saying, I hate it. You're, you're being faithless in, in doing this. And then they make things worse. He says, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He, because God, no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So get the picture. You have the picture on the one hand, you have Israel being faithless, right? That was the description. They're kind of doing whatever they want to do. Uh, rebelling against God, right? They're they're marrying people God told them not to marry. They're divorcing their wives, which God said I hate. They're they're just kind of doing whatever they want to do, saying, we don't care about you, God, all the while pretending like they're still being faithful to God, all the while going to the temple, praising God, offering sacrifices to God, but then also realizing that God's not accepting their offerings, and they're weeping and they're weeping and saying, God, why would you accept our offering? Why won't you accept it? And God's saying, because you're being faithless, repent. Turn from it and I'll accept your offering. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. Just accept my offering, will you? And then they moan and they groan and they weep and they weep and they weep, but they refuse to repent and truly worship God. And he says, that's even worse. Because you're pretending like you're worshiping me, but you're not. And you refuse to repent and do the thing that you need to do. If God's like, if you would repent, I would receive your offering. I would accept it. It would be good. We would would be reunited. We would be made whole. This would be good. You would no longer be faithless. And they say, no, we just want to keep doing what we're doing and pretending like we're worshiping you. And God's He doesn't have anything to do with hypocrisy. Which is why the whole passage ends with this statement. It's actually said twice, in case you miss it the first time. Guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. Um, This is Malachi's closing point of his message to them in this section, to the people of God, saying, Stop being faithless. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Because they were guarding themselves in their actions. They were doing the temple thing. But they weren't gu- well, in some of their actions. They weren't guarding themselves in their actions around sexuality. They were guarding their actions around temple. But he says, you have to guard yourselves in your spirit. You have to watch out because your natural tendency is not going to be toward faithfulness, right? And this is, this is the word, when these prophets spoke these words, the people back then were struggling with all the same things here this morning. Every one of us has these same struggles in front of us this morning. And he's looking at us saying, guard yourself. Watch yourself. Because your natural tendency is not going to be to just kind of glide through life faithfully. Your natural tendency is is to wander away into faithlessness, right? Your natural tendency is prone to wander, prone to leave the God you love. And uh, so if you don't want to do that, you need to watch yourself. You need to guard yourself. But you need to do more than just guard yourself in your actions, right? You have to guard yourself in your spirit, because every, that's where every action comes from immediately. It, it, it's bred deep down in your heart, deep down in your soul. And if you're not guarding yourselves in your spirit, and you're only trying to guard yourself in your actions, your actions will not be guarded very long because it all begins here. Uh, faithlessness begins by just allowing our heart and our desire to kind of wander a little bit away from what God wants us to do. And once we let our heart and our desires start to do that, you're not going to hold your actions back because it just opens up a huge flood. That's why Jesus says, oh, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Faithlessness begins with just a little bit of questioning. Hear about God's word, God's law, God's love. Just questioning like, is, I, don't, I can't imagine God would actually say that. I mean, why would God? That's a stupid law. That's a stupid rule. That's the beginning. That's not even the beginning of Faithlessness. Because the moment we start questioning God, we're already showing what? We don't trust him. We don't believe him. When God says something, if we believe him, we'll do it, right? And so that is faithlessness in and of itself. And that faithlessness of questioning God and questioning his word and questioning his things just breeds into more and more and more. And it spreads like leaven throughout your whole body. And then you just wander off. And there's a number of ways to respond when, when we recognize that happening in our own lives. Um, I kind of warned us leading into this series that I, most of these messages are going to be fairly intense because Malachi itself is fairly intense. And, and, and hopefully, I mean, as I'm preaching, the, as I'm preparing for these messages, God's hammering me <laughs> in the heart. Um, and so you, I'm hoping you're feeling convicted as well. Uh, and there's ways to respond when we feel convicted. If, if we've been listening to this and maybe you see a little bit of yourself in the, in the faithless priests or in faithless Judah, or maybe you've, you're here and you're recognizing you failed to, to love your spouse, or maybe you've been tempted to kind of run off with someone who's not worshiping the same God as you, um, there's really only one way to respond. Um, Even though you're going to be tempted to respond in a bunch of different ways. One temptation is you're going to have this nagging feeling in your heart this morning. um, And one temptation is just to be like, nah, nah. Just shove it off the side and just keep doing what you've always done. Wrong response. Other response is to feel that nagging in in your heart and conviction in your heart and to go, well, if that's what God requires of me, I don't want to have anything to do with him and turn and wander away from God even further. That's not the right response. Your other temptation is just to feel really guilty about it, and just sit there and, and to do what the Jews do. They weep and wail and moan and groan, and I just feel really guilty about this, and I just beat myself up about it, and do nothing. That's also not the right response. You, you can't atone for your own sin in that way. The only proper response when God brings conviction to your heart. The only response that will truly bring you blessing and freedom is to repent. To repent, to turn away from that faithlessness and then grab hold of Jesus Christ with a true faith and trust Him and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. This is not what I intended to do. I got here and, and I'm turning from that. Help me, save me. And Jesus will cleanse you. He'll renew you. He'll, he'll cleanse all of that faithlessness of your past. He'll cleanse all of the faithlessness of your present. Uh, but he'll do more than that. It says he, he redeems you. He renews you. He makes you a new man, a, a new woman. He, he fills you with the Holy Spirit, which gives you power and strength to begin to live faithfully, to walk in freedom, to receive God's blessing. Um, it's the only way to do that. And, and the reality is that's true of you if, if you did that 20 years ago to become a Christian or if this is your first time hearing this and you're thinking of becoming a Christian today. Because um, the life of a Christian is one where you are daily, sometimes some of us, hourly, minute, <laughs> repenting of our sin and embracing Christ in faith. It's a daily renewal thing. It's not a once and done. Like, well, I did that 20 years ago. No, you need to do it every moment of every day because you're still prone to wander. And so every day of life you say, shoot, I spoke like that again. Sorry, forgive me. And he says, yep, get up. Now go again. And then you mess up again. And it's that life. That's the only way. You can't do it on your own. You try to dig yourself out of that pit. You dig yourself further and further and further in. You need Jesus Christ. And that's... That's the whole point of this season of Lent is to to really focus us in on on not not even the life necessarily of Jesus Christ, but His death and His resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and for the new life that comes into each one of us. And it's a reminder that we need that, all of us. Because all of us are prone to wander off like those priests. We're prone to wander off like Judah. We're prone to get ourselves in situations where we find ourselves under the very curse of God. And we can't get ourselves out of it apart from Jesus Christ. Um, and so we, we need him. We need to look to him. We need to repent. We need to embrace him by faith. And then walk in that faith. Obey him. And obey the God who created us. And obey the Father who watches over us and loves us. Let's, let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you so thankful again that you're our God. We we look at the, the history of your people wandering off so many times, uh, so faithless to you, uh, constantly leaving and forsaking you, Lord, and we, we recognize that that you could have easily thrown your people off and started afresh, but but you haven't because you're faithful. And Father, we look at our own lives and, and how often we we wander off and wander astray and try to do things our own way and act like we're smarter than you and Father, we come to you, we just confess this morning. We, we take this opportunity right now, this morning, to repent, to confess of our own faithlessness, to confess of all the ways that we've turned away from you, gone astray, gone off and done our own thing, and not actually trusted you. Father, we confess that to you this morning. We, we repent of that this morning. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us And that you'd cleanse us and that you'd redeem us and and restore us. And Father, we pray that you'd send us another measure of your Holy Spirit in us to to give us strength and to give us wisdom, to give us guidance so that we could walk in this life in a way that, that brings glory and honor to you in a way that brings your blessing down upon us. And so, Father, renew us and restore us. And may you be glorified through the way we live and act and speak. But even more importantly than all of those Um, kind of underneath all of those, may you be glorified by the way that we worship you. Not just here on a Sunday morning, but the way we worship you as we raise our families and as we go to work and as we interact with people out in the community, Father. May that be a pleasing and acceptable offering to you. May you receive it because we've trusted in you through your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. amen.